0: Om Sahana Vadatu Sahana Vahato, Carvahai, Om Nathu Saharyam Karavahai Te Jasrinavari Tamastu Mahindrishavahai Om Shantishanti Shanthi Om Puramadak Puram Poonam. Purnasya Purnamada Purnamivava Shishyade Om Shanti 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 Shridis Mrada Purana Alayam Karmanayam Namanihava Vatpada Shankaram Loka Shankaram shankara shankaraacharyam keshava madhavarayanam sutra hashtrutau vande bhagavantau guna gunaha isharo guratmaevi murti hetam bhagavine dakshina murtiye namaha gukarasthan hakarascha rukarasthan nivartakaha anha guru richya hibhinade sadhashiva samaramham shankarachaya madhyamam asmadachaya paryandam vande guru param We are in this camp doing the last section, or the one, last third of the eighteenth chapter of the Gita, and the section that we have begins from the verse forty-one, going on up to end, that is verse seventy-eight. All these verses we actually planned to do in the last camp, but we did not complete them and so we are going ahead in this camp. These are the verses that talk about the concept of duty and it is based on the vivastha, or the arrangement, or the organization of the whole society based on the caste. (coughs) For those who attended the last camp, it may be a bit of repetition, but for the rest of you, I will just reiterate briefly what it is that we discussed before we proceed with our discussion here. And also Mm -hmm. we were saying last night that... uh, in the Vedic times, the society was, uh, organized on the lines of the caste. Chaturvanyam maya sustam guna karma vibhagasaha. Lord Krishna says in the fourth chapter that I have created this Chaturvanyam. This humanity is a society consisting of four varnas or four castes. Guna karma vibhagasaha, where there is a division of the functions to be performed in society. And that division is based on the guna, on the disposition of the minds of the people. And thus, in the Vedic times, these four primary or the major dispositions were recognized, and the functions that are to perform for running the whole society were then assigned to the different people according to the dispositions of the mind. <coughs> so this was the idea, and each of this division was called a caste. <coughs> So let me just show here this caste and the nature of those, you know, the different members of the caste yeah? <clears> here. <throat> First of all, just to remind you about the Gunas, or we call the disposition. What are the three dispositions? Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas, where Sattva stands for clarity, and therefore freedom from the impurities of Rajas and Tamas, the mind has clarity, and therefore mind enjoys a tranquility. suggests that there is naturally a love for knowledge. (coughs) Mind suggests that is also cheerful in nature. Cheerfulness. This is the nature of sattva, of which our mind is made up. And in nature also we find sattva, so there we find peace and tranquility. So we find, very, very often uh, we come across an atmosphere where we find a tranquility or, or purity and peace. So that is the sattvic atmosphere. Or when we enjoy the disposition of mind, it is the sattvic disposition of mind. Or uh, so, just sattva, let us call it balance. Rajas is characterized by agitation and therefore activity. And here there is love for pleasure. Instead of cheerfulness, there is restlessness. There is a keen sense of one's own sense of limitation. So, this is Rajas. And Thomas is mm-hmm. dullness. inaction. So, there would be what we may generally call a selflessness or an attitude of, there is going to be a selfish attitude, there is no sense of inadequacy, sense of insecurity. The sattvic person generally fa- feels good about himself and therefore we find him generosity, charity and, and spirit of offering in him. A person with Rajas experiences a keen sense of inadequacy and therefore insecurity and then we find a, a self-centeredness, you know, in him. And a person with Tamas doesn't feel, he doesn't have motivation and therefore we don't find even self-centeredness there, we just find dullness, inactivity, lack of motivation. And when tamas increases, it may get distorted to even cruelty. The mind in fact is made up of these three dispositions. Each one of us has it in different measures. Sometimes our mind is sattvic predominantly, sometimes it is rajas, sometimes tamas. But we can generally say that a given person has one of the three in predominance and accordingly we may classify a person as sattvic, rajas or tamas. This is how it is. This is how human beings are. And based on this, then the ancient seers then uh, recognize four broad classifications of the dispositions of human beings and this classification, position of these people. In Brahma, there is a predominance of sattva. And then finally, tamas. And the predominance of pleasures. And finally, tamas. Avaishya, predominance of rajas, followed by tamas, and finally sattva, and the sudra, in whom there is a predominance of tamas, followed by rajas, and finally sattva. This is how the disposition of this people is made up. As you can see in Brahma there is predominance of sattva. Therefore he will be a tranquil, contemplative person in which whom there will be love for knowledge. And therefore, learning, studying and teaching and all those activities would be would be best done by this person. He is most suited for that. Sattva is an active person. Except his activities followed by sattva, so is more likely to be a person who performs activity in the spirit of service. So he is the one who therefore, uh, functions for protecting the society, for protecting Dharma, for following Dharma, and protecting Dharma as well as for protecting society. So he is a protector of the society. Vaishya has a predominance of Rajas, also active person, but followed by Tamas. And therefore there is self-centeredness. So here Kshatriya is more likely to be a person who is selfless, a Vaishya is all, you know, he's generally speaking, a person whose activity is meant for his own personal good. <coughs> that means, you know, for his own personal uh, uh, reward. Whereas Kshatriya would be generally speaking performing action for the sake of the whole society. And the shudra, because Tamas is predominant, and followed by Rajas, therefore, there is no motivation. He's a person so each of these three are the motivations. A Brahman is generally motivated by a love for knowledge. A Kshatriya is motivated by the love for service. Vaishya is motivated by the by the love of profit. And Sudra is has no motivation and therefore he has to be motivated. And so that is how this these are the four kinds of people that you find in any society. It is not that that Indians created these divisions, that the divisions always obtained in any society, except in very times these divisions were recognized and the society was organized accordingly, so that each one of them can get a kind of a role or a function which suits their nature, and that is how they can perform their function well. In that process, the whole society also grows, and the individual also grows. This was the idea. So, the four castes. Now, first thing that also we should know: how were how was the society organized? How were these people organized? There are only two ways of a group of people functioning or or interacting with each other. One is so society can be. So either a person may give importance to his duties as to what he is required to do, or the person may emphasize his right as to what he should be given. And so one person emphasizes what he should give, that is a duty. Other person can emphasize what he should get, that is his right. So it depends upon how you see, whether you look upon yourself as a person with all kinds of right and the world is required to do things for you, or you think that you are already enjoying the right and then you should do something for the world. There are two approaches and so what approach? The Vedic approach was the duty based. In this sense, what? The duty of one becomes the right of the other. The point is that when the when the members of society that function on the basis of the duty, what happens to the rights? Except that what is my duty becomes your right and what is your duty becomes my right and that way in a duty based society the rights will be served in a very gentle way, in a very giving way. That you you perform your duty and therefore without demanding my right is served. In a non demanding way. So, in the right, naturally, there is a demand. On demand. And therefore, in this society, there is a state of cooperation. With this so this <coughs> society, there is competition. Now, this duty based society, when there is cooperation among the members of any group, there is going to be harmony. Imagine just a group of people, two persons called husband and wife. Just take this simple unit, you know, and imagine the relationship between them. They can be duty-based or right-based. Where each one thinks that, so somebody asks Swamiji, when a couple gets married, what is their duty? Say simply, the duty of husband is to make his wife happy. And duty of wife is to make husband happy. And therefore, husband looks upon his duty to make sure that the wife is happy and vice versa. Then there is a spirit of giving, there is a spirit of cooperation. Whereas husband and wife feels that it is my duty to make myself happy, then there is the rights and demand. And can you imagine husband and wife competing with each other? I've seen it happening, you know. And sometimes the wife feels that the husband is competing. And the husband doesn't allow her to rise, you know. So sometimes both of them met in the college, in the university, some place, and both of them belong to the same discipline. And so after getting married, then husband also may be a writer, and wife also is a writer, you know. and then, But then somehow the wife always felt, Ji, that he never encouraged me. He never, uh, you know, he never allowed me to rise, you know. So very often we find husband are competing. In a social circle also, each one trying to draw attention to other people still stuff like that. I mean, I think you know this better than I do, but this is what I hear sometimes, you know. Competing with each other It's most amazing. Uh, competing for importance, competing for uh, the visibility, competing for a variety of things, you know. Because husband and wife are primarily human beings also. So should they, they are human beings with their own needs and, you know, requirements and whatever, so should they get importance? Or the fact that they should function as one unit and should the welfare of the whole unit be important or the welfare of the individual member of the unit be important. So we always draw attention to the way our body functions. How there are different limbs in the body. So there is a head which performs the function of Brahma because the head thinks and it learns and it teaches. The the arms perform the function of Vikshatriya because there is strength there and they protect the whole body. Then stomach performs the function of the share, because it receives and distributes. And the feet perform the function of the Shudra because it sustains the whole body. Now the limbs are different, the names are different, the places are different, the functions are different. But shall we say they compete with each other? They don't compete with each other, in fact, they cooperate with each other. That means that they function as a unit, not as individual individuals demanding their own. Right, and their own visibility and their own importance, but then they function as one unit. When any part of the body requires something, the whole body responds. And so, thus we find the spirit of course, then there is a harmony in the body, then there is unity, because there is one self. Otherwise, there are as many selves as the limbs are, and then it, there is no way that the body can ever function properly. So, this is how the nature also functions. So very often you point out to the people, look, if you want to learn about management, just look at the nature, look at your own body as to how the different elements comprising the nature, how all of them function in the spirit of cooperation. So in nature also you find cooperation rather than competition. If this is so, then there is going to be harmony. What happens is, in a duty-based society, one has to submit the individual demands or individual aspiration to the aspiration of the whole. And in rights-based society, the aspiration individual are, is important as compared to the aspiration of the whole. And therefore here, individual is submitted or surrendered or offered in the altar of the whole. And in the right based society, the whole doesn't remain important, the individual remains important. And therefore, for even though I may be a citizen of the United States, what matters is my profit. And so I can go to maximum X, Y, Z country, you know, and then I can do whatever I want, so as to make my profit, even though it may mean that I am perhaps uh, hurting my own country. It doesn't matter. What matters is my profit and my bottom line. So, uh, this is important as to whether a person is willing to uh, forego his own demands for fulfilling the demands or needs of the group. But as you say, if everybody functions in that spirit, that everybody is willing to forego their demands, for the demands of the whole society, then automatically everybody's demand will be met. Because I also forego and you also forego as a result, every demand is met in a very graceful way. In a competing society, People try to meet their demands in a very hurtful way, and so there is going to be a hurt, a violence. You know, where the rights-based society, this is a non-violent society. I so would we'll call it a non-competing society, a non-violent society. This would be definitely a society where there is conflict in rights. <coughs> going to conduct our life, are we going to conduct our life based on what we call the? the guidelines of scripture, or to conduct our life based on our own likes and dislikes. So that is what we call the uh, the Shastra uh, guided, you know, and so uh, <clears throat> Shastra prayed, So that which is in fact directed by the Shastra of the scripture. Means one's soul likes and dislikes. So whether one submits, one likes and dislikes to the direction of the scripture. So what is the shastra of the scripture? Scripture is that which has what we may call a total view. So you can imagine a person standing at the bottom of a hill and someone standing on the top of the hill. So one standing on the top of the hill has a total view. And from there he makes his decision. This fellow standing in the bottom of the hill has a very narrow view from where he makes a decision. And therefore when I stick to my likes and dislikes and my demands and my desires, then whatever decisions are made, I would have made based on what I think is good for me. On the other hand, when Shastra makes a decision, it is based on what is good for everybody. And so that is what we call the Shastra Prerita. That is, that is impaired by scriptures, Vasana, pray impelled by the Vasana. <coughs> Direct to the impelled, you know. Then again, what is the primary value? Is dharma the primary value? <coughs> Righteousness becomes the primary value. <coughs> usually in the rights based society, usually the Artha and Kama, Purusha are the four human ends, you know dharma, artha, kama and moksha. It is recognized that every human being needs comfort. Every human being has a need for sense gratification and ego gratification, they are accepted. That artha and kama are the needs of human beings, is accepted. Except that in a society where one is impaired by the scriptures, then one fulfills. One's need of artha Kama based on the, the way one is impaired by the scriptures, as directed by the scriptures or guided by the scriptures, never dharma becomes no. the basis of fulfillment of one's needs of Artha Kama. Whereas when one is impaired by one's own vasanas, one's own lives and dislikes, one's own tendencies, then artha Kama, meaning the security and pleasure and comfort, they become of primary importance and it's quite possible that dharma. Or the well being of dharma means the welfare of the whole. Dharma can be simply understood as the welfare of the whole. So yes, the members of the society, they do pursue as a comfort, and pleasure, but without sacrificing the welfare of the whole. Whereas people can pursue their own hands without regard to the welfare of the whole. You can see these two models, you know, of organizing any group. In family also, if, if this is the way, if children have their own rights, why right? mother has her own rights, father has his own rights, and that becomes important. And so with the resources available they compete with each other, you know, the um, daughter says I must tell these, and son says I must have them, why. whatever it is. And impelled by their own demands, their own vasanas and, and the rights and dislikes, with the rights and pleasures and comfort being important, you can see it will just ruin the whole thing. There's no way that any unit really can function in a harmonious way. <coughs> Whereas this is the way where the, so group can function in a harmonious way. This is how, suppose an organization is organized, whether it's business, industry, whatever, organized, suppose it could be organized in this way, then all members of that industry or business or what that group will be able to function in a harmonious way, in a very creative way, in a very productive way. So basically this was the, the duty-based, therefore non-demanding way, non-competing way, in Perabalist śāstra the scriptures, where dharma of righteousness is important. So this was the spirit around which the society in the early times was organized. Don't just think that it is a caste organization. It's not by caste. Organization based on these principles and then caste becomes then a structure you know, as to how to, in fact, practice these principles. To practice the principles then, the caste becomes a structure. It is not that you impose a caste upon the people, this is how they, they always look. The caste system is imposed upon the people. It's not so. What is, in fact, imposed? It's right. It is this principle. And why is it imposed? Just to bring about harmony, bring out the welfare of all beings. And yes, individual human being is being a, a needy person and therefore having his own needs and therefore his own rights and therefore his own limitations, he is more likely to be a demanding person and therefore it is necessary that he must follow a certain discipline. And therefore this is a life of discipline Yeah. Accept the discipline as it is demanded by the scriptures. <coughs> So we just wanted to tell you the contrasting aspects of two ways that the society can function. I would think that basically the Western society as we see here is basically seems to follow what we have written on the right <coughs> based on rights, based on demand, based on competition, impaired by one's own vastness, and therefore pleasure and comfort, being the, they're the, they're the primary, one, you know, if I give free rein to my mind, then the primary demand from myself, we are going to be for comfort and pleasure. And I will follow dharma, the righteousness, as long as it is convenient to follow. But if it is not convenient, for the sake of artha kama I will be willing to even sacrifice the dharma. And this, you will find this trend you find worldwide, unfortunately, in one way or the other. So, Therefore, really speaking, for people to be happy, it is necessary that something must be done at a very fundamental level. It is not enough that we have, yeah, for material prosperity perhaps. That means to to exploit a person, to extract the most out of him. I think this competition is a very, uh, a very successful model, you know, to extract the most out of a person, to create in him, to impel from him, or impel in him his, Spirit of greed and demand, so that is what we do. In this in this in the structure of competition, what we do is we exploit the person. We exploit his limit is his vulnerability. Then we can always invoke greed from a person, but that's always there. And the desire for Bhoga, the pleasure is always there. And you invoke that. And that is something that cannot be satiated at all, and therefore, you one can never satiate a demand depending regardless of what one gets. So, insatiable greed and demand for pleasure is invoked by, you know, that we can invoke from a person and that becomes the engine for his working and functioning and which he may produce a lot because his needs are increasing, at the same time he destroys himself in that very process. And so we can say that what is the life of yoga? These are the contrasting aspects of the two ways of the functioning of the society. And this was the ideal around which the Vedic society was organized. (coughs) And if you see this, then there is no difficulty with any system. Caste system is not something that was in fact, as I said, created by the Vedic people. It is there in the human society. Just within our body there are four castes. My head is Brahmana, the arms are Kshatriya, the stomach is Vaisha, my feet is Shudra. And there is no reason, as I said again. If dharma and yoga is a way of life, then it is, yeah, then again, here what becomes important? A person, a society of a person. And karma phala becomes important here. and counts. Where performance counts. The bottom line is karma phala. So what counts is performance. And the end result is what counts. Where karma is what I do. Karma-nivādhivār is so, Lord Krishna's teaching. Let karma become important to you. Let karma not become important to you. And so karma is a means, of course. Mahavarada also, Yudhishthira and Duryodhana represent this too. Yudhishthira stands for the one who is devoted to dharma, to his duty, to what karma, to what he should do. To the means is devoted, whereas Duryodhana is devoted to his rights competition, karma sala, and therefore end is important in Duryodhana, the means is important in Yudhishthira. And therefore Yudhishthira and therefore the Pandavas will be willing to accept whatever be the end to follow what we call the proper means, where you, uh, Duryodhana what is important to him is end, and it doesn't matter what means he is to adopt. So we will find definitely a deterioration of means and of therefore of what we call the loyalty and you know, trust and everything else in a right in a right based society, whereas here in the duty based we find this loyalty in which we find trust and also we find the protection. So one is a protective society, other is a fighting uh, society, whatever. And so you can see people coming from India, you know, the East, have a lot of problems here. The human beings are all made of five elements, and blood and flesh, but then. <coughs> It is a different world. The whole culture is so different. Tremendously, it's a different world altogether. And if this is not understood, people really struggle very hard, not understanding what it is. But then, when a person has lived for a length of time in India and based, I mean, you know, lived and has, has raised in a certain spirit, and when he's confronted with altogether a different kind of spirit, becomes extremely extremely difficult, you know, to really adjust to that. But anyway, so these are the two ways of how a society can function, how a group can function. So with this now we can see what, whatever it is that Lord Krishna has to say, with reference to the duties of the four castes. <coughs> Brahma, Kshatriya Visham, Brahma, Kshatriya Sudrancha Parantapa, Shugrāṇāja parantapa, karmāya pravibhattāni, karmāya pravibhattāni, svabhāva prabhavair guṇai, svabhāva prabhavair guṇai. He parantapa, Hey Arjuna, oh scorcher of enemies, the inner enemies. <coughs> so, it is his scorcher of outer enemies, but he should also become the scorcher of inner enemies. Brahma, kshatriya Visham sudhranam cha he, parantava, he, arjuna, karmaya, 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 the duties. the duties are divided. Sabhava, prabhava, guna hi, according to guna, the disposition, that is determined by sabhava, one's own nature. So depending upon one's own nature, or one's own disposition of mind, the duties, of Brahma, Kshatriya, Vaishya and Sudra, the duties are divided according to their disposition, according to their aptitude, according to their capabilities, according to what they will be comfortable with. <coughs> and therefore Brahmana, Brahma, a person having, although ideally as you said, the division of duties is based on the disposition of mind rather than based on the birth. But so we know, of course, that the caste is decided by the birth and not by anything else. So what's the reason why caste is determined by the birth of a person? As we've been saying, birth is the nearest objective criteria to determine the disposition of mind. Because the disposition of mind is a very subjective thing and then there is no way of measuring that. So we have to develop an objective criteria to, to determine that. As we said, by because of law of karma, the law of cause and effect, we accept that the birth is also according to law of karma, and therefore a person gets born in a place which is appropriate for that person's disposition, and therefore we accept that, or it was accepted that, a person is born in an appropriate environment, and therefore he would possess a disposition which is compatible to the environment where the person is born. So by law of karma, we take for granted the compatibility between the birth and disposition. And that's how the birth was accepted as a criterion to determine the disposition. Not a perfect criterion, but then there cannot be any perfect criterion to determine the subjective thing. We always give the example of how we always determine we always have an objective criteria to determine the subjective capability of a person. As you said when we decide to give admission to the children, you know, in medical college or engineering college, whatever, we go by what we call the test scores. And the test scores are supposed to represent their capabilities and their aptitudes. And we know very well that it cannot always be so. Because somebody can be quite clever and scoring the test, or somebody just may not be very comfortable with the test, but he may be good otherwise, but anyway we have no way of judging The person's aptitude and capability is a subjective thing. And therefore, we have to come up with the closest objective criterion. And therefore, test scores become the closest objective criterion to determine whether a person is suitable for being a doctor or an engineer or a lawyer or whatever. (coughs) And similarly, here also, birth therefore is the closest objective criterion. Uh, this is how Brahma, Kshatriya, Vaishnava and Shudra, a person's caste is determined by Martha. <coughs> Lord Krishna says that the duties of all these different members of society are divided according to their capabilities, according to their disposition, according to their aptitude. So understand all along we find in Bhagavad Gita in two places Lord Krishna mentions this. In the fourth chapter also Lord Krishna mentioned maya system maya-sushtam, Here, Juna, I have created this arrangement of four castes where the duties are divided according to guna and karma. The duties, karmas are divided into guna or according to the disposition of the person. Here also, Lord Krishna says, Subhava prabhavai hi grunahi so, is the nature. Nature that one inherits at the time of birth, which is determined by again his past karma, the past history, and thus everybody is born with a certain nature. Depending upon yatha karma, yatha srutam, the kind of karma that one is performed, the kind of intentions one is entertained, kind of meditations one is performed, all of that determines the disposition of a person when a person is born. And that's the reason why you find everybody having a unique disposition because everybody has a unique history. <coughs> so that's called swabhava. And therefore we related this svabhava, How Brahmana is a swabhava. Of predominance of Sattva followed by Rajas, Kshatriya the predominance of Rajas followed by Sattva, Vaishya the predominance of Rajas followed by Tamas, and Shudra the predominance of Tamas followed by Rajas. <coughs> now we can continue with what are the, what is really the disposition of a person who can be called Brahma. Go to the next verse, verse 42. Shamoo Damastapas shout him. Shamoo Damastapas shout him. Shanti Rajava mevacher. Shanti The duty of the Brahmana born of nature. Samaha, damaha, tapaha, shaucham, It is not really duty. This verse more describes the nature of Brahmana rather than the duty. The duties are different. But here, what is the nature of a person who is predominant in sattva? You find that person, samaha. That is the tranquility of the mind. Samaha means shanti, Peace or tranquility of the mind. That means a person's mind is free from demands, free from attachment, aversion, free from conflicts. Person's mind is at rest, enjoys a composure, free from inner conflict. <coughs> the conflicts are there when there are many demands, many desires, and sometimes desires are fulfilled and they result into what we call greed. When desires are not fulfilled, they result into what we call anger. And therefore usually the karma, krodha, lova, there is a desire and anger and greed. Other predominant, other tendencies in the mind, which is what keeps the mind in conflict. So one whose mind is free from these conflicting aspects, he enjoys shamaha or tranquility of the mind. So person with sattva, from which the rajas and tamas are, you know, rajas and tamas are, are minimized, and therefore a the clarity, cheerfulness, peace is there, shamaha he enjoys the, the tranquility of the mind. He has therefore a mastery over his own mind. <coughs> is discipline. Discipline of the senses. So this, all, this person also will be a disciplined person. His organs of perception, organs of action, all of them also are in alignment with his mind. And therefore you don't find restlessness at the level of organs of action or organs of perception. They also follow him. The idea is that his whole personality is very cooperative. In the sixth chapter, Lord Krishna said, Ātmai vasya ātmara bandhu, ātmai One's own mind or personality can be one's friend, and one's own mind can be one's enemy. Here is the person for whom the mind is his friend. And therefore, mind is available to him for what he or she wants to do. <coughs> so, Dhammaha, a person who enjoys the composure at the level of activity also, at the level of perception and level of activity. <coughs> So freedom from any unders- indulgence and, and things like that. <coughs> then tapaha austerity you find this person an austere person also. Because his needs are are, are, are you know see if you are more, if you are satisfied with your own self then your needs from the external world are necessarily few. So more dissatisfaction there is more discomfort there is within then more requirements that are without and more comfort is within the less requirements are without. Therefore, here we find a person who is contented. And therefore, with very few needs and very few demands. And therefore, his requirements are minimum. We find that his his life is generally characterized by austerity. Not a spentrip person, not a person who is indulging, but a person who is who enjoys and who is comfortable with austerity. Tapaha. saujam, cleanliness, you find also cleanliness with this person. Cleanliness is twofold, external and internal. Of course, internal cleanliness is very important. Cleanliness is intention. What is meant by internal cleanliness? Cleanliness in one's own intentions. Because very often we appear good outside, but our intention inside may or may not be, in keeping with our appearance outside, a person is clean. That means person is a loving person, a giving person, a kind person. And ever his intentions are clean. He always means well of other people. For the simple reason that he feels happy with himself, he will secure with himself. And there is no reason for him to hurt anybody. He is a non-hurting person, not only that, but he is always a well-meaning person. A person who means or wishes well of everybody. And, see, when the mind is composed, then you are a disciplined person, you are an alert person. When an alert person, then outwardly also you are an organized person. When there is confusion inside, very often inner confusion results, reveals itself with outer confusion. Whereas, by when you are composed within, when you are a person who is alert, outwardly also you are a well-organized person. And inside you are clean, outwardly also you are clean. So, cleanliness always is twofold, And in India, the external cleanliness is going to have a tremendous amount of importance. In terms of taking bath, in terms of washing, washing clothes and making sure the clothes are also in such a place that nobody, you know, pollutes it. So cleanliness not in terms of dust and dirt and so, so forth, but cleanliness in terms of some religious pollution, you know, that's the, the idea. Anyway, so Shavucham cleanliness, internal and external. Kshantihi, shama, forgiveness, large-heartedness, accommodation. He is a person who is a forgiving person, a any person. Because he is a non demanding person and therefore he accepts people as they are. He accepts that okay, it is alright. You know, because he, since he doesn't demand for other people, it is not necessary for him that somebody should conduct himself in a certain way for his comfort. So if he feels comfortable with himself, there is no demand on his part that people should make him comfortable. See, so we have when we wonder the world should make me comfortable, then I am not a forgiving person. Because when somebody does not conduct himself or herself properly, then I am a discomfort, I can't forgive. But when their conduct does not affect me, then I am a forgiving person. Fine, it's all right. Just as a mother or parent, how do they forgive the child? They know this is a child. The Swami, doesn't matter, He talks like that. Just wait for a few years, it will be all right. You know. And so this is how? Okay. And this is the kind of an attitude or this is the kind of kindness that this sattvic person has towards everybody. Therefore, giving, accommodating person. He understands that a person is angry, a person is hurting, a person is whatever it is, not out of choice, out of helplessness. As we always say, a person compromises value, not out of choice, out of helplessness. Person gets angry, out of helplessness. He is hurting others, out of helplessness. He is, uh, he compromises values, out of helplessness. And so he can see that helplessness. He, so he is able to see the person behind the behavior. The outer behavior may be aggressive. Outer behavior may be imposing. Outer behavior may be hurting also. But this person can penetrate through that behavior and see the person. That fellow is insecure. He is himself hurt. He is very worried inside and he is fearful and that insecurity inside shows up as outward aggressiveness. So you can see that and that is how there is a natural compassion. So the kshama or the forgiveness or accommodation arising out of a genuine compassion that he has for people. Kshanti, arjavam, straightforwardness, very straightforward person. And so as the thought, so the words, as the words, so the deeds. <coughs> Manasyekam, Vachasyekam, manasya vachasya Anyat, duratmanam. There is one saying in Sanskrit which says for Mahatmas for the, the great people. What is in the mind is in the words, what is in the words is in the action. And for the crooked people wicked people, something else in mind, something else in speech, something else in action. Arjavam, straightforwardness. Basically what is his thought, is his word, and that is his action. (coughs) Honesty, also we can say, jnanam, knowledge. Jnanam is knowledge of scriptures here, because a brahmana was a person, who studied the scriptures, and study, and teaching, learning and teaching various duties. (coughs) So jnanam, we find the, He's a well-informed person, a learned person with reference to scriptures. Vijnanam is to practice what he knows also. So, vignanam is one thing, vignanam is another thing. Vignanam is the accepting the uh, no knowledge and assimilated knowledge. That's the translation here, meaning that the knowledge is something that is that is, that is practiced in his life, or you can say that. Vijnanam meaning to know the Vedas, to know the rituals and chanting and the codes of conduct. And the Vijnanam, the, also the skill or the ability to perform those rituals and follow those values. In case of Upanishad, Vijnanam would mean the knowledge of Brahman. And Vijnanam would mean that, that becomes a reality for the person. Vijnanam, Vijnanam. he he's a believer. He's a faithful person or a believer. Believer in the veracity of the Vedas. And God. So naturally, a person who is sattvic has a natural faith or a natural reverence for the scriptures, he has natural reverence for God, a natural reverence for sages and saints and great people, his heart is a natural reverence. So we can say astikyam, a reverence for the scriptures, a reverence for God, a reverence for the teachers. <clears throat> Jnanam, vijnanam, astikyam brahma-karma-svahavajam this is the nature although it says duty in fact this is the nature of a brahmana what are the duties of brahmana? duties were sixfold adhyanam adhyapanam yajnaha yajanam dhanam Pratigrahascha. the duties of brahmanas were considered to be Adhyayanam, study of the scriptures. Adhyapanam, teaching. So he's the one who studies the scriptures, knows what dharma is, and he teaches the people also about the dharma. This is a very important duty. People must be in fact taught. People must be also informed about what is dharma. What's the right thing to do? So brahmana studies dharma and teaches dharma. Study the scriptures and teaches them. Adhyanam, adhyapanam. Yajnaya, yajanam. Yajna, yajanam, yajanam is performance of rituals and religious ceremonies, and yajanam officiating in performance. So he himself performs the yajna, the religious ceremonies and rituals, and also officiates in performance of the ceremonies, so he makes others also perform them. He performs them himself, makes others also perform. <coughs> There is always a general generosity in a Satvi person. He is a person, he is a generous person, that means the charity. Giving also is his nature or duty. Pratigraha is also allowed to receive the gift. So giving the gift and also the privilege of receiving the gift. This are six, these six are said to be the duties of a Brahman. <clears throat> and his nature is described in the verse forty-two. These duties are recognized to be this, this is a Brahmana. Then we go to Kshatriya, Vaishya, Shudra. in that sequence, we will continue in the next class. Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnamivavaśyate Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Vadarayanam Sutra Bhashakrata Uvande Bhagavanta Upanapunaha Ishvara Gurururatmevi Murti Bhedavibhagine Vyoma Bhadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Om Shanti 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 Hari Oh Shri Guru Pyanamaham Hari Oh